So in January 2020, I made a plan that I would go around Ireland and visit a lot of different animal places and hang out with animal people. Then, of course, in March 2020, COVID said, nope, you're not going anywhere. You're staying at home. So here I am two years later and I'm going ahead with it. And I thought, well, if I enjoy doing this, maybe other people would enjoy hearing about it. So thank you for joining me. Tennis ball in your life. No. Just, <laughs> These are all found. These are all found by the dog, yeah. <laughs> Many there. 15, 20. For my first adventure, I met up with some dog teams from Sarda, Ireland, Search and Rescue Dogs Association of Ireland. This organisation was set up in 1987 and its members are volunteers. Their activities involve the training, assessment and deployment of search and rescue dogs to help find missing persons. A dog team is made up of a handler and their dog, and these teams are able to search in many different environments, mountains, woodlands, rural and urban areas, waterways and seashores. On a rainy Sunday morning in Connemara in Galway, I met up with three of these dog teams. So here I am, we're out in the rain, uh, and just as I've started recording, it started raining heavily, so thanks for that. So here I am with Idel Doherty. So today we have four dogs here. We have two air scenting dogs and two trailing dogs. Um, one out of four of these dogs is qualified at the minute, so they can go on searches. The other three are in training and are working towards assessment in the next year or two. Okay. So we have one beagle who's a year and a half old, uh, two Labradors that are around seven and five, and a uh, one and a half year old Belgian Mali as well that started training recently. So we have a good mix. Is that, Ye- is that Jaeger? Yes, the, that's yes. Jaeger, yeah. Ah, I met him already. The cute Mali. <laughs> He's very cute. The dogs are trained to search for people and find them. So in order to practice this, they need people to find. And that's where the role of a dog's body comes in. Dog's body volunteers go out in all types of weather and lie on the sides of mountains, in ditches, in hedgerows, and even up in trees. So the dogs can be trained to hunt and find human airborne scent. Sarda Ireland have recently started training trailing dogs as well. And Adele explained the difference between air scenting and trail scenting dogs. We train two different types of dogs. So air scenting is the type of dog training we've been doing for the longest. So we've been training air scenting dogs since 1987. So we're, we're well experienced at it at this stage. So for an air scenting dog, they are used in big open areas and they're what we call non-scent specific. So they're not looking for a particular person. They're just looking for any person in an area. So they are very useful for the likes of, you know, missing hill walkers that might go missing from a group in kind of big areas or forested areas. They have also been used in searches for people maybe with Alzheimer's or dementia that might have gone wandering from home. Um, we've searched for children in the past. We've kind of covered nearly everything that's that's happening. Um, and the way an air scenting dog works is that they work off lead and at a distance from the handler. So the handler will put on the dog's working jacket, tell it to go find and then direct the dog across an area. So it might be the side of a mountain, it may be a forest area, a bog area, or even in kind of urban areas if it's very quiet in the morning or late at night when there's not many other people around. 
and the purpose of an air scenting dog is to find a person firstly but also to in the case where they're searching an area where there is no person their job is to clear the area is what we call it so that's where they are searching an entire area that's like determined by the guards or the, whoever the search manager is beforehand and if you don't find anything you can come back and report it to the search manager and say there's nothing in this area and we're 95 percent sure of that so that's very important that you're able to give someone like the guards that percentage of certainty so that they know that they don't have to search that area again. Whereas if you come back and say, yeah, we don't think there's anything there, but we're only about 40% sure, they're going to have to do it again. Um, so it saves time if we can be very thorough with our searches and make sure that the area is covered. Because there may be cases where someone, say for instance, a person with dementia, they may wander off in a certain direction but a lot of times they may circle back on themselves four or five times and they could end up very close to where they actually might have went missing, but they could have walked 20 kilometres in the meantime by just maybe, you know, wandering around areas. So it's very important that you can clear an area um, as part of a search. And then the other type of dog we train are called trailing dogs. So we've only started this in the last few years, so it's a newer experience to us. But uh, Sarda Ireland are part of NSARDA, which is the National Search and Rescue Dog Association, in the UK, Ireland, Isle of Man, and they have been trailing, or training trailing dogs for a lot longer. So they are kind of our experts and our go-to people. So we have Sarda Wales um, and some of their members on board to help us with our training for it here. So what happens with a trailing dog is that they are scent specific. So instead of just sending them out to an area to find anyone, we will give them an article of clothing from the missing person that may be, again, it could be the same type of people, it may be a hill walker that's gone lost. It may be a child that's wandered off or a, a person maybe with um, like reduced mental status or maybe something like dementia. And we will give them the article of clothing, take the dog to where the person was last seen and then put on all of their gear. So a trailing dog will wear a special harness and they work on a long line. So it's like a 10 meter lead. And what will happen is that the dog will be given the article given a command to go find and they will search that area around where the person was last seen and the first thing they will do is either tell you if the person has been there or not so sometimes in the past and it happens on searches if people go missing you may get reports of sightings and you don't really know whether they are actually the missing person or maybe someone that just looks like them until you either have it confirmed with cctv or you know confirmed some other way so trailing dogs are very useful in that because they can confirm that based on the scent of the person so the dog will either bark to say yes the person has been in this area and there's a trail that we can follow or the dog will not do any of that and it will just come back to the handler and say there's nothing here you know the person hasn't been here or maybe they have been here but their scent is no longer in the area so you kind of know that you're not going to be able to work a dog from that point but when the dog indicates to say yes there is a trail here at least then you know the missing person has been in the area and the dog can tell you what direction of travel they've taken from where they were seen. To show me how it works, Adele was the first body. She went off across the hill until we could only see the red jacket in the distance. Connell and Jaeger, the Belgian Malinois who was only a beginner, went off to find her. It was fantastic to watch. Jaeger covered a vast amount of ground in record time and then we could hear his triumphant barking when he found her. Then Jarlath and Sid had a go. Sid is a black Labrador. And in meeting him, I could see that I'm conditioned to the idea of house Labradors. They're not fat, but they do have a layer of padding compared to Sid, who is just pure muscle 
with such a well-defined body. And again, I was transfixed by how fast and how far he could move. Jarlath is a veteran of the group. I suppose I'll be over 20 years at it now. Right. But this dog that I have now, said he's my second graded search dog. I had a Springer Spaniel before that and he lived till about 12. But I had to retire him around 8 because he got arthritis. You, know, so. you were saying that about rescue dogs. Well, it's great if you get a rescue dog and you can train him. But with rescue dogs, you don't know their history and if they have any underlying hereditary conditions. And you put two years into training them. And then if they go lame or get injured or anything like that, it could be from um, a, a hereditary condition. And your two years... Because we're, we're, we're training in very hostile environment. It's rugged. It's not like on, you're training on cricket grounds or football grounds. You're training out in the wilderness and the ground is very unforgiving. Like we're in forestry and we're inside the mountains, rocks, sh- sh- shale, scree and all the rest. And that's tough enough on the dogs, not, not mind the handlers. Like, you know. So it's good that if you can get a dog with a healthy background that you can move on like, you know, and you know that you're going to, if you're going to spend two years training them and then that you'll have them for maybe eight, nine, ten years as a trained search dog, you know. And sometimes with a search you can be out for many days in a row. Yeah, yes indeed. I was on a search there now for a young chap that was missing since November and the search went on for the bones of six months. Now I was out 15 days searching, now, not 15 days consecutively, but if we got a new, initially I was out maybe for four days, and then if you got a new break of information or something like that, you would resume searching in whatever area there's a bit of interest in or something like that. The guards might ring in and say, will you come back out and things like that. So that's how. Are you sort of willing to go out? It does say on the website, 365 days a year, 24-7. Yeah. You could get a call out at any time. Yes, indeed. But having said that, if you're available and if you're not available, we have maybe 10 dogs on the call out list and you could contact a few more and they might be able to respond. Or if you were then doing three or four days in a row you might take a break and give the dog a rest and the others would step in like you know and likewise for myself going to other parts of the country that we would kind of uh, back each other up like, swap you know, it around yeah, so exactly, that nobody yeah. gets exhausted exactly yeah, yeah. and do you train um, both air, air scenting and I have, tail I, I have a graded air scenting dog said he's graded for the last couple of years but I'm in the middle of tra- also training a sin specific trailing dog as well so he's, he's getting there you know but slowly I saw Jarlath and Shadow in action when they tracked Adele in a scent trailing exercise this is Shadow right now Shadow. I have a bell on him as well right okay because he ranges quite a bit right and just so we're, it's not too bad here you can kind of see him but if just say if you're walking in scrub now or in forestry which I was out in Man Cross there over the last couple of months you won't see him but at least you have no yet know when he's coming back where he's been or where he went, you know. So, and also, just so we keep an eye on each other, you know. No, Idel is in, so I'll just he he's got, he'll be doing this blind now. So I'll, uh, I'll uh, and there again, it's all about reward. So this is his toy when he finds somebody. Okay. But first of all, he has to come back and tell me. Yeah. 
Then it was my turn. Adele had borrowed my hat and kept it in a plastic bag to give Jessie the scent. I thought she might need more, but apparently even a hat is quite smelly enough to a dog. I was asking you mm. for a scent. Yeah, and I thought this would be something that I would have had to at least be wearing a day. So I was quite surprised that you could use a hat. Yes, so it doesn't actually, we, we get this a lot. So people come and they say, oh, I haven't showered since yesterday or I showered this morning, is that okay? Or whatever. Uh, we Everyone, every human underestimates how much of a stink they put up for a dog's nose. It's always surprising. <laughs> so when we start this with the trailing dogs, which are the scent specific ones, when we start working with human scents, we put a little cotton pad on the person up near their shoulders against their skin. And after like 20 minutes, half an hour, there's enough scent on that pad for the dog to be able to pick that person out and follow their trail or even pick them out of a lineup. So it's amazing how quickly your scent can collect and stuff. But if you think about it, the way a trailing dog works is that when they're following a trail, they're walking along a route where the person has also walked through for a split second. So it's not like the person has to stand there for 10 minutes, take a few steps and stand there again. The person could have ran through an area and the dog will still be able to find enough human scent to be able to follow it. So we're constantly shedding skin cells and we're constantly stinking up the area around us. Um, and the dogs are super sensitive to it. So it's it's not actually that hard to get a scent article. So we say anything from the waist up. We don't want like socks or trousers. We want something that was like a t-shirt that you wore or maybe your pyjama top or a, a scarf or a hat. Any of that is fine so long as it belongs to you and you're not after borrowing, you know, your brother's hat or your husband's scarf because that's just a little bit confusing for the dogs. There's two different scent profiles on the same hat. And that's all there is to it. It's, it's quite simple, but we just have to be very careful in training, especially at the start when we're teaching the dog about human scent, that we're not contaminating it. Because say, for example, um, there have been searches over in England where trailing dogs were used and a person went missing from home, say, and the police over there would say to the dog handlers, OK, I'll go and get a scent article from this person's bedroom or whatever the case may be. And they may go in and take something like the pillowcase or a pyjama top or a t-shirt and they'll bag it up and hand it to the dog handler. But what can happen is when that dog starts working, especially if the policeman or policewoman who collected that scent article has been in the area they're working, the dog can actually quite easily go, well, actually, I can smell two trails here, one from the missing person, one from the, the police officer. And the dog may not always pick the right one. So it's making the job very difficult for the dog. So we're almost like, you know, like CSI Miami back in the day. We're all always very careful when we collect scent articles from people that we're not contaminated or that, you know, too, not too many other people have handled it um, because it just makes the job harder for the dog. I saw this in action for myself. Adele had sent me off and told me where to stand. But while I was waiting, I leaned up against a nearby rock, sort of half leaning, half sitting on it. When I saw them coming, I moved away a bit so that I could watch them work. Jessie followed the trail straight to the rock, and then she was sniffing around it for a while. I could see Adele was looking a bit puzzled by this apparent detour off the trail. But as a dog's body, you can't really react or draw attention until the dog finds you and barks to notify. So while Adele thought that Jessie was getting distracted, I was bursting to say, she's being so good, that's where I was standing. Anyway, afterwards I told her, and that's how dogs' bodies can also be helpful uh, in giving feedback about the dog's behaviour. Like what we did today, it's very much collaborative, everybody's helping each other's Yes, dogs. indeed. And 
it's like what, what how I trained. I, I don't have any qualifications, this is, but I have trained dogs. And I've picked up from other colleagues back in the day when they were handlers and they graded dogs. So you just kind of move on your knowledge, impart your knowledge to the other people, like, you know. And they would have bodied for me when I was training my dog, so now it's payback time, you know. And obviously you still do dog's body work. Oh, we you? would, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, some, some, some training sessions, we might have people to body for us, but if not, we'll just step in and out, like, in ourselves, and we'll all body for one another, you know. So yeah. that's how it works. We're all well used to lying on the side of the mountain. Oh, yeah, sure, it's, it's fantastic, like, you know, you know. Well, I really enjoyed it. I was only out there for 10 or 20 minutes, but even if you're out for an hour, if you're wrapped up... Yeah, well, th- th- that's the important thing that you have the proper clothing but we have gear that we can give we have mats that you can lie on that you're not lying on the cold ground and we have buffalo bags that you can get into if the day is um, anywhere cold and ground sheets and all the rest of the stuff to keep you from the rain and it's also important that you have proper boots on so you don't go over your ankle as I said here earlier the ground can be very unforgiving like you know you go over your ankle quite quickly so you just have to be careful like you know actually happy for people to say oh I'll come along just for one day or do you prefer people to be more regular um we we actually don't really mind so the main thing about it is that for anyone that will be interested in doing it um I guess the first thing is to go onto our website sardireland.com and have a look at kind of what it's all about and what's required the main thing that we ask is that people are uh, like you're not sent away as you found out today you're not sent away for four hours at the top of a mountain on your own you know it's it's you're generally within sight of someone on the team all the time when you come to body for us but we still want people that are you know okay to walk across boggy ground that have hiking boots wet pants rain gear you know a flask of tea with them to keep themselves warm that they're able to um kind of do a little bit of hiking that they're they don't feel out of their comfort zone to be sitting on the side of a hill for an hour or so um, and it's also very important that people are uh, into dogs. So we have people that say, oh, yeah, no, I, I like dogs. And then they don't really think about, you know, working dogs, which are kind of a higher drive. Um, and when our dogs find someone, they're going to be barking in your face, waiting on their reward to come from the handler. So you just we just prefer if people are, you know, actually comfortable in those kind of situations. But, yeah, we enjoy having new people all the time. Um, and it's something that even in our organisation, if you want to be involved in the charity, you don't have to be a dog trainer. You can be a dog's body where you just get to come along for the weekends. It's the best role ever. I did it for five years. You get to relax, chat with everyone, have fun. You get to nap on the hill during the day. And then, you know, we all kind of sit around chatting in the evening after dinner. And it's a lovely weekend. So it's a nice way to be involved in something like this, even if you're not interested in training a dog yourself. It's a fantastic experience because there's no pressure. You're just mm-hmm. like, stand over there, go over there, walk over there. We'll see you in a minute. Yeah. I loved it. It's the best nap you will ever have. It was, it was much more interactive than I thought. I did picture myself. I was like, I'm going to be recording by myself up on the hills. They're not here yet. Connell of Connell and Jaeger team had told me how much he enjoyed being a body to the extent that sometimes he found himself lulled to sleep on the mountainside. I could well imagine it. You're tucked into a cosy buffalo bag, you have snacks and a warm drink, and when else would you get the chance just to lie down and observe nature all by yourself, watch the clouds, listen to the birds, totally secure in the knowledge that someone is out there looking and their only job is to find you. You were saying you have to be a dog's body for a certain amount of time before you can actually start training a dog as well. Because yeah. And the whole time you're being a dog's body, you're learning 
all this stuff yes. as well. So you you learn a lot. So we say we ask people to body for the first six months. And it has kind of a number of purposes, but the main one for them is that they get an idea of what's actually involved. So we get a lot of people, especially after we do kind of news articles or anything on kind of mainstream media, we get a lot of people saying, God, I'd love to do that and my dog would be great. And maybe their dog might be great, but if that person isn't able to go up on a mountainside and look after themselves and make sure they come to no harm and be able to, you know, read maps and understand the weather, then they're not really the person to do this. So when we have new people join we tell them to take their time for the first six months not to get too focused on either buying a dog or training a dog that you know might already be two three four years old and probably getting a little bit too old for the job anyway and we ask them just to take their time and they kind of get an idea for what's involved on the dogs so what kind of dogs are really suitable when you see them on the ground because just because it's a labrador or a german shepherd or whatever doesn't mean that it will make a good search dog And then they also get an opportunity to kind of talk with the other handlers and understand what the training involves, how much time is involved, but also talk to the qualified handlers and understand what actually happens on a search. Like training a dog for search and rescue is, it's very rewarding and it's amazing fun. And it's kind of a great sense of achievement when you do it, but you have to be prepared for what you're going to be searching for at the end. Sadly enough, there can be cases where we might be called in a search and we know that person is already deceased. So it's not a case of, you know, we might find them alive if we work quickly. You know they're going to be deceased and you have to be prepared for what you're going to come across in that situation. Because it is just going to be the dog, the dog handler and maybe one other person that arrives. So, you know, you need to have a little bit of a kind of knowledge on what to do in that situation um, what kind of the protocol is and then the same can apply for if you find someone that's alive and well generally they'll have been sitting there for a few hours so you're thinking about first aid hypothermia they may be hungry they could have something like alzheimer's that they're already disorientated and you want to make sure you don't make them feel any worse than they already are so you're trying to kind of keep them calm and you know reassure them that everything's okay and it, it just takes certain type of people to be able to do that um, so it's always something that we remind people when they join that it's it's amazing fun when you're training a dog. But if your dog qualifies, then you need to be prepared for what's going to come when you go on a search. I know you talk about dog teams. Um, so that's the person and the dog. Would you ever, like, would you work with another dog or how important is it that the person knows the dog? So when we go out in a search, we, we do, as you say, we call it a dog team and it's the handler and the dog. And they've worked together for years. So we can't swap dogs or swap handlers. Or even say if you have a husband and wife that are both involved in Sarda Ireland, only one of those people will work the dog. It's never more than one. And that's important for a number of different reasons. In that one, the dog understands who its master is and who it should be listening to. But secondly, the most important thing is that the handler can watch the dog's behaviour. So the handler can tell when the dog is working effectively and not. So it can tell if it's struggling in certain terrain or it can tell if it's the dog is on the scent, we say. So if it's, you know, close to finding the person or if it's following the correct trail or if the dog has shown interest in any particular area. So with our air scenting dogs, the handler will be able to tell when the dog might turn its head in a certain direction into the wind and you say, well, it's showing interest in something in that area. So you might mark it down on your map and say, we're going to make sure to cover that area maybe extra carefully when we get to it. And for a trailing dog, you're doing something similar, but because you're always behind the dog in the lead, you're watching for small changes in behaviour in the dog that might indicate that maybe the person might have got picked up by a taxi along the way, in which case the trail ends, 
but you'll be able to tell from the dog whether the person hung around in that area for a while first you'll see the dog maybe turning its head and sniffing a bench where the person might have been sitting or maybe showing a lot of interest in like an article of clothing that might be on the ground that you might be able to say okay that's likely to be from the missing person so the handler is, is as important as the dog and that they're able to read their own dog's behavior but that's very unique to each dog so I couldn't read the behavior of another person's dog the same way as they could so that's why it's always the same dog handler and dog that work together it is it's literally a dog it's team yeah teamwork so uh, one thing I noticed from my experience here this morning is that um, you're always trying to give the dogs variety yeah so we would have a lot of different things that we vary um, and in no particular order they are the difficulty of the either the search area or the trail the difficulty of the terrain the weather um, what time of day or night it is it can also be what person they're searching for so for air scenting it's less important you can repeat the same people maybe every couple of weeks you could be finding you know the same people over and over again and it's okay for the dog because they're just finding any person but for a trailing dog you have to try and be extra careful about making sure there's a variety in people because even though people don't fully understand how this works yet everyone has a unique scent but there's also scent differences between the ages of people or maybe kind of certain conditions that they may have or the type of food that they eat. So if you have someone that might eat a lot of, say, um, spicy food, they may have their sweat or their kind of body scent may smell a little bit different than someone that doesn't eat spicy food. Um, a more kind of practical application of that is that older people will generally have a different scent. So your scent will change as you age. And if you keep training your dog with young people that are maybe 20 years old, if you go out in a search scent, look for someone who's 85 and missing, the dog might be okay with it or they may be kind of a little bit hesitant of saying well we don't normally search for someone that smells quite like this so sometimes they can ignore people just purely based on how they smell so it's important that we get big variety on it and it's the same for terrain in that if you're always training in simple you know simple grassland and it's easy weather easy terrain then the dog will always have an easy time in training but then when you take it to an actual search you may have to search acres and acres of bog and forestry and mountainside and farmland and everything in between and if your dog isn't experienced at doing that it probably won't succeed very well in the job so it's very important for us that we kind of expose the dog to all these different varieties and conditions in training so that we know when we go on a search that will it will be okay so variety in night and day and weather because as a layperson I kind of went oh a nice sunny day that'd be easier but Charlotte was saying wind is actually easier carries the scent yes or do you reach the stage where you're like it shouldn't make any difference what conditions it shouldn't make any difference to the dog eventually once it's been trained in every different type of weather so you can probably hear at the minute when we're in this car it's raining and what happens in rain is that the scent that comes off a person will hit the ground quicker because the raindrops are pushing it down so it doesn't get the same chance to kind of spread or rise up into the air. Now what happens on a warm day is the opposite. So it's like when you see, when you make a cup of tea and you see the steam rising from the cup of tea, that's because there's a difference in temperature between the tea and the air. And the same thing happens with human scent. So if you go out on a, a January morning and it's four degrees outside and you get someone to lay a trail so you get them to walk across the park, what's happening is as the scent comes off them, if there's no wind, it's hitting the ground very quickly and very close to where the person has been. If it's 
uh, cold but windy, the scent will hit the ground fairly quick, but it may be blown a couple of meters away from where they've been. On a very windy day, that could be 100 meters. You know, the wind could really travel it or carry the scent a long distance, depending on the terrain and that as well. But whereas on a warm day, because the air is so much warmer, the scent will rise off a person and just keep rising. Like the steam out of your tea or the smoke out of a chimney, it will just keep going up and up. And that's kind of can be a problem for the dogs because they're looking for the scent that's at their kind of nose level. So they're looking for the scent that's hitting the ground or in the air around them. But if it's a warm day and all that scent is going straight up, it's going to be harder for that dog to search. So that's why it's important for us to take account of all this in training. But also then, like on real searches, we will be careful about things like the wind and the air temperature. Because if you had someone missing, say, on the side of a mountain range, uh, depending on the time of day, the scent of the person will move differently. So if you have a person that's maybe broken their leg and they're sitting in one spot on the mountain, maybe halfway up the side, in the morning, the sun will be hitting the ground and warming the ground and it will do the same to the scent. So the scent at that stage will blow up the mountain. So this gets, it gets very, very complicated very quick. Um, So it'll blow up towards the top of the mountain just because of like thermal currents and wind and heat. So what a search dog team will do is they will start their scent search at the top of the ridge so that they know that any scent down below is being blown up towards them and the dog has a better chance of picking it up. But the opposite happens in the evening time. So as the sun goes down, the ground begins to cool and the scent will start to travel downwards. So if you started the same search with the exact same conditions, it could even be the same person that's still missing from the morning, you would actually start at the bottom of the ridge and work your way up because again, you know that that's where the scent is blowing. And that's only on a simple you know, mountainside where it may be one continuous slope and one continuous type of ground. If you think about a trailing dog that works um, maybe through a city centre or through a, a park, it has to cover grass, it may have to go through a playground, it may have to walk along tarmac that will be extra hot on warm days. So we're always aware of how the scent is going to move in that area, depending on whether it's grass or whether it's street, whether it's warm or cold, whether it's windy or not windy, whether it's an open area where the scent can move around or whether it's like a like a little tunnel or a little gap between two buildings. Um, we'll also take into account things like how heavily trafficked the area is before we search. So if we search on the side of a mountain, it's likely that there's not been many other people there unless there have been other people searching for a long time. But if you take a dog to an urban place like a park or a playground again, there's going to be plenty of people around there. And even though the dog is trained to ignore, a trailing dog is trained to ignore the scent that doesn't match, the dog still has to be able to decide every time that it meets a new scent, whether it's the right person or the wrong person, um, and kind of be able to understand all that and work through it all. So it can get really interesting when you think about all the different factors that the dog has to think about. And it just does this naturally because it's a it's a hunting instinct that every dog can do. Um, so it's something that they can all do naturally in the blink of an eye without having to think about it too much. You may have noticed Adele getting a bit short of breath at times. She's just recovering from COVID, so making her talk for extended periods of time was probably not ideal. But I made her do it anyway. Now, back to Jarlath. Do you find a difference? Do you find one type of training harder than the other, or it's all, it's all, it's all training and work? Yeah, more or less, yes, yeah, it's, it's all training. They are slightly different, you know. The scent-specific dog is more scientific, where you have scent to give to the dog so, so, so that he lock onto it when he goes searching whereas the air scenting dog 
I will let him off on the hill and he will he's nearly knows better down than, than I do Do you work in the city as well or is it all mostly Listen, country? Not really in the city because you'd be working on the outskirts of the cities in most cities now you find there's cameras everywhere right and now we have dash cams and all the rest so you know on the outskirts of cities are maybe where an elderly person that has the onsets of Alzheimer's or something but still walking someone like that you could be called to look for or an Alzheimer's patient who walked out of a say a nursing home or things like that you would be looking for them if they got lost in the woods or if that, you know. My grandmother had Alzheimer's and all she wanted to do was get out and go walk down the road. It brings them back to their youth, probably, you know, areas of... She said, I have to go milk the cows and... Yeah, yes, indeed, know. yeah. <laughs> One of the finds I had with my last dog, the Springer Spaniel, was from a patient who walked out of the psychiatric unit. And uh, he was had a troubled mind and... Uh, dog found him after maybe five days but unfortunately he was uh, he was deceased but at, but at least, least the dog found him and uh, could move on like you know and give him have a, people have a grave to go to too you know you know what's happened yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. so you'd, you would be on the outskirts of the cities but not in the cities per se you know and have you do you go all over the country then or try and stay mostly around here well, are, you, are you from Galway I am yeah I'm oh, a local yeah yeah right. Charles, my mother was from Chum, so, so so that was where I got that handle, right? <laughs> so mainly, mainly around Galway, Connemara, the Burn. But if there is a shout in other parts of the country, and it goes on for a few days, you would respond as well. Like you know, if they, if they were still looking for the, the missing person, you would. And and you're moving quite fast. I noticed. Well, yeah. we were watching. Was it the first dog, Sid, when he was running back and forth and you're trying to follow him? Yeah, yeah. You actually, you have to be quite fit. Yes, indeed, yeah. Yeah, there is a certain level. Because this search could go on for a couple of hours, like, you know. Normally, you'd search maybe for two and a half hours. Then you take a break, give the dog a break. And then resume with maybe doing another two and a half hours in the afternoon, like, you know. And you were going to be going up and down hills and all the rest, so. And would you train once a week or... Try yes. and do it at least once a week. And if you're living close by, you could do a session midweek, like you know, in the evenings. Sometimes we will train in the darkness because often you're going to be called out, called out at night time as well. So it's good that the dog is used to working in, in the darkness and yourself, like you know. But you will have a head torch on, and maybe a light on the dog as well, so that you have an idea where he is and you don't fall over. In my case, because my dog is black. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, how do you if you send the dog off? He would have to have a little torch on him as well, because otherwise he's gone and you're like... Yeah, and there's a bed on him as well, like, you know, so you would... But you would, if you were searching, you'd have your map and you'd, you'd have an idea where you're going, like, you know. So my dog is also trained to the whistle, so I can bring him back if I want him, like, you know, which is important, you know. You mightn't hear. If you're shouting at him in the wind, if you're downwind of the dog, you're not going to hear, but he, he'll have a better chance of hearing the whistle, like, you know, so it's important that... that and the only time that you want him to bark is when he's found. When he's found, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like what you were saying about the steps. Yeah. Our training is structured, right? So we have structures and we go from one step to the other as the dog progresses. And if the dog has is finding a difficulty with the next step, you move back slightly and maybe break down the step into two or three little bits that, and then it'll make, if you make come together like you know 
It's all about making it easy for the dog. Exactly, yeah. It's kind of, kind of, how would you say, structured training that's kind of faultless. You know, you make it easy for the dog because you don't put any too many impediments in the dog's way. You don't want the dog to fail, like, you know, so you kind of make the steps as incremental as possible and as easy as possible so that the dog and it's all about the dog enjoying it like you know and the end of his side he's going to get his reward there's one thing you really noticed today they're all having such a good time out there yeah they're happy aren't they yeah it's what they're into like you know this is their game they're kind of looking forward to this all week I think they're Sunday mornings out here (laughs) flying around you and so the rest of the time I know with sort of especially trained companion dogs and that sort of thing sometimes you're not allowed to pet them or guide dogs yeah because they're working because there's a lady lives beside me now and she as a high visit on and she said this dog is working please not, do not interfere like you know but my dog if I'm work, if, if he's working on the hill he's not going to bother with anyone he's just looking for that scent you know they're just they're just driven so they are really because they enjoy it so much yeah so the rest of the week you just treat them like a normal like yeah normal they're dogs. pets at home like you know but they still have to be exercised you know yeah <laughs> and because you want to keep them fit you know because it's the dog that's covering most of the ground if you have control over you can send them north, south, east or west, up or down, you know. And the more ground that the, the dog covers, it's the less that I have to cover. <laughs> <laughs> I live near the sea and I have a lake near me as well, so bring a tennis ball and fake it into the sea and yeah. he'll get four or five retrieves and he's happy out, like, you know, and it's good for their bones as well, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll show you the back of my van. I've never bought a tennis ball, right? <laughs> and I'll just show you the back Do of my you van. Find them? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The dog find them. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Many there, fifteen twenty. <laughs> it's am- and it's amazing what you can find out in the and the and the mountains yeah. and and all this equipment. You guys buy all that yourselves. Ari, y- yeah, yeah. Well, these Sarda job jackets, they're supplied by the organisation for That's for the dogs, right? <laughs> and it's just so that if he's walking on the hill, people can see what that he's a dog that's walking. Not a dog that is chasing sheep, which yeah. is important. Now our dogs are stock tested as well. Before they can start their training, they have to be obedience tested. That they will, co- that they will, co- basic obedience that they co- they come back to you when you call them, and they have to be stock tested that they won't worry sheep. And we get an independent farmer to stock test them, and he'd have to say that he would be happy with our dog searching on his land and that he's com- he's comfortable that our dogs won't worry either sheep or cattle okay which is very important you know there's a lot in the media at the moment about we're in, we're at lambing season with all the dog attacks around the country where farmers are losing lots of sheep and lambs even if i think attacks. people don't realize that the dog doesn't have to attack the sheep no and especially if a do- uh, if a, a yo is heavily pregnant they could slip a lamb quite easily like you know and they're traumatised you know or they're driven into lakes or driven through barbed wire fences and all this, and they get destroyed like you know the farmers in this region this common age that have given us the heads up to train here with their, there are sheep here but we've, we have been training here now for the bones of 20 years and we have no incident wonderful time that is true I'm not lying about that um, very interesting learned so much I mean I've read a lot on your website but 
actually doing it really learned a lot so thank you so much Adele for your time thank you for introducing me to all your dogs and I hope I hope I was a good dog's body for you you were you were excellent um so thank you for coming out to us it's always great to spread the word a little bit more because we're kind of it's a very unique type of charity um so it's always great to be able to spread the word more and you've got first-hand experience now that we started this morning in the rain we're ending in the sunshine it's been cold it's been everything in between but it's always great to have people come and body for our dogs because without someone to look for there's no point in us even trying to train a dog so thank you very much for your time as well i had a wonderful time thank you all very much thank okay. you it was great to meet you thank Janet. you very much thank nice you to see you so that was my adventure with sarda ireland it wouldn't be for everybody you need to be comfortable with dogs and mud and rain And you also need the patience to stay and wait in one spot. But if you like being outdoors, it's ideal. And the camaraderie is great. I got the impression as well that the more you do it, the better it gets. As you get to know the dogs and you can watch their progress. Their website is sardaireland.com if you want to learn more about them. And maybe throw a little support their way. You can also follow them on Facebook And I know the photos on there never fail to make me smile. So thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and see you next time.